Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Joshua Jackson. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating the people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. If you are in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, please go to leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Each week on this programme, I'm joined by a different leadership figure from the world of business, education, politics, sport, or, or even from local communities in the aim of truly discovering who those people are that get up every morning and make this country work. We get their take on the current economic and political landscapes of the UK and discuss everything from national insurance rises to supply chain headaches and, of course, the success and the innovation that makes it all worthwhile in the end. On today's programme, I'm delighted to be joined by Stacey Mitchell, the CEO of All Care Community, and Lindsay Jarvis, the company's training manager. Um, without further ado, Stacey, Lindsay, welcome onto the show. Hello. Brilliant. Um, it's great to, to have you both here. I know we've got some really important things that we're going to be talking about throughout this. Um, you know, some of the recent issues to do um, with care, and uh, you know, we'll be touching on sort of recruitment, vaccinations, um, COVID in general, and some of the more wider issues. But Stacey, if you wouldn't mind, as CEO, um, just giving us a brief of what it is you guys do and, and how you do it. Hi, yeah, we have um, two residential homes um, specialising in people with autism and behavioural concerns. We also provide two day services and respite as well. We um, bridge the gaps from people either coming out of hospital with, um, or that could potentially be going that way and in. Our staff manage great activity programmes with people, getting them, you know, learning doing new skills, getting their anxiety levels down, you know, building confidence um, and giving them the best quality of life possibly, you know, that anyone could possibly give. It's really important work um, that's been going on and obviously highlighted so much over the past 18 months, far more um, than has previously been sort of highlighted beforehand and unjustly in many respects. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort of come on to, to a lot of these issues as we go through, but it's very important i think that we do touch on um covid um the issues and the stresses and the pressures of the last 18 months um you know how how's that been it's been really quite difficult in so many ways um i mean our first big issue was all having to wear masks and visors and ppe working with people with severe autism and behavior concern the communication is facial. It's them understanding your facial expression, your how your tone of voice, how you speak to them, and having to be covered from you know for your whole face. We had a lot more behaviours happen. People's anxiety levels rose, um, and that was a massive barrier to come across. And for our guys to try and understand us in a way that is so difficult for them. I can imagine that's so, it, 
it's added on to so many extra sort of you know stresses, pressures, um, you know, and uh, obviously a lot more adaptability from from your staff as well. Um, and Lindsay, obviously you being sort of training manager, did you have you feel you've had to adapt your the way that you've done things um, throughout this time? Um, we have to an element. I mean, the fortunate thing about our organisation is that we are classed as one working bubble, um, and we have many discussions on how we do continue with training through the crisis because it is so important to make sure that all staff do receive their training, they're in date with their mandatory training, that they have everything they need to provide effective and safe support for the uh, individuals we look after. So, uh, being that the case, we set up a very training. Uh, COVID secure training environment and minimise the amount of people on each course because you can't expect somebody new. We're still having to recruit and when you get new people in, you just can't expect them to understand the job and the people straight away. So um, by really bringing down the numbers and making sure that we were providing everything, fully sanitised PPEs um, and everything like that to make sure people were safe, we were able to provide still a good training programme for everybody. And Lindsay, now we've sort of mentioned, um, you know, PPE, and that's, uh, you know, a really interesting one, given some of the chaos that's been going on across care, um, getting access to equipment, um, you know, PPE, understanding legislation. Um, you know, Stacey, did you find that as CEO, there were those issues were there for you as well? Or was this just something that was going on, um, you know, nationwide in the news more than anything else? Yeah, it wasn't... Um to start with, it was more hand sanitizer. That was the one thing that I think everybody struggled with. Um, we also, the biggest issue we did have is that we were given by the council, like the PPE, and that we got given out of safe masks. So we were given PPE that had got dates on them that had been overdue, and you just think, you know, you were the last resort. We, you know, it just makes us feel, are we worthy of? anything kind of thing so we ended up trying to buy our own instead of having the, the last of stocks of everything um but we haven't you know that was set right at the beginning that was the struggle as it's gone on there has there, i must admit there has been enough PPE for our staff we haven't had shortage we haven't had to really struggle as the pandemic you know rose and grew so did the PPE did actually come through to us i think that's you know really an important point there that you say you know sometimes the last resorts um you know sometimes care is looked at as you know how to put this sort of politely but you know the the poor cousin of the nhs really there isn't the the support there and um the respect in in many cases and i think that's something that's been really highlighted um throughout the the sort of pandemic and still ongoing as well as we've gone through so many different um uh, you know, episodes uh, both legally within the the restrictions, lockdown one, lockdown two, partial lockdowns, the t- continuing talk here of how we get out of this, and that's something that we really want to talk on today. Um, the next sort of steps, some of the legislation changes, and it's something that you, the the the. The legislation title, um, or more commonly known as the sort of no jab, um, no job, uh, is. Mm-hmm. One thing that you're both, you know, 
very sort of passionately um, wanting to, to sort of talk about. So, you know, Stacey, if you wouldn't mind giving me, you know, a bit of a background on, on what it means and the sort of wider impact for you. So obviously when, when the vaccinations came out, a lot of our staff were more than happy. They were willing it and wanting it. Um, they, you know, they could see the good of it. Um, we did have a lot of staff were going, I'm not having it. There's not been enough research. I don't know what's happening with it all. And having that, it was fine. You know, people had that choice. And I think that's the biggest word on here is choice. People had the choice to take and have that vaccination or they chose not to. You know, it was their human right to choose. Now, it is no jab, no job in the care sector and, you know, apparently any CTC governed um, person or body should be having double vaccines. We have, in my company, we had two people out of, I think, 50 people didn't have it. So, for me, I was very, very lucky. Our biggest thing has gone, why do we have to? And I would lose staff and trying to recruit new staff is very difficult because of this. But yet the NHS don't have to. Anybody that comes into my home that is from workmen, you know, we're having a plumbing issue, so a plumber must be double vaccinated. But yet the ambulance crews come and save somebody's life that is close contact doesn't have to be double vaccinated. Any of our members that are in close contact with somebody here have to, you know, so our staff are double vaccinated. God forbid they ended up in hospital, they won't be with next to people that are double vaccinated. They won't have that support from them. And for me, it needs to be across the board. It can't just be all of us and not the NHS. Those people work with just as much and more vulnerable people than what we do. We have known people going into hospital and cutting out with COVID. So for me, it needs to be across the board. It just doesn't feel right. Why do they have a human right to say no, but my staff and the care sector don't? I think that that's where it got very political over the course of this time. Care homes were again being sort of disparaged for, for some of the care they were providing and, um, you know, dealing especially care homes rather than going into people's houses of these, you know, COVID infections sort of sweeping across care homes and causing, you know, a lot of unnecessary sort of strain. But you're right again that the NA, people in the NHS there should also be treated the same way as those on the outside and just to sort of put this of when we're having this conversation into perspective today is the 15th of september um by tomorrow is the last date for anybody who hasn't had their first jab to then be able to get their second jab uh, to be fully vaccinated by the 11th of November, which is the cutoff point for people to be able to go into a home that are working there or to visit, um, you know, to be into the homes of individuals um, for care purposes to be fully vaccinated. And again, with numbers here, you know, there are 570,000 people employed in English care homes. And the last um, the available statistic of sort of uptake or 
people not uptaking the vaccine was 7%, i.e. 40,000 staff that are not now not going to be able to be um, you know, working within an already stretched care sector. Um, it really is amazing that this is actually happening. And, you know, um, Lindsay, what are your thoughts around this? Do you think it's going to have sort of knock-on effects and, you know, help people come into the industry? I think it's going to have massive knock-on effects. Um, I mean, the statistics, as you say, there's 7%, so that's an additional 40,000 staff that we potentially are going to be losing in eight weeks' time on the 11th of November. There are currently 115,000 vacancies already in social care. So that, and apologise for my math, takes us up to around 155,000 vacancies within the social care sector. My biggest concern, and particularly from a training and a safeguarding point of view, is that we are putting services at risk. We are already running across the country in social care services with reduced staffing numbers. And we see it all the time where we see negative reviews coming up, services are being closed because incidents have happened. Um, because the staff aren't there. So when we're meeting our regulatory requirements under the key lines of inquiries, we have to provide evidence to say we're safe, we have the correct staffing numbers to meet the needs of the people we're supporting. Now, all care community support, we are meeting those numbers, but reading constantly how some services are struggling, it just, and primarily this week, with everything that's happened with serious case reviews and safeguarding adult reviews, where services are being closed because of staff issues and, I don't know, numbers of staffing, staff are going to get stressed. If people are currently working under staff, staff are going to cope. They're not going to cope with it. There's going to be exhaustion, which there already is. It makes more incidences of mistakes likely to happen, which means the service, again, isn't going to be safe. And the thing is, when these services close down, where do the service users go? Um because there are no more services out there. It takes us back to, I don't know, the turn of the century with the white paper that came out of valuing people and the new strategy for the 21st century, moving people out of hospitals into social care. But if social care doesn't exist, where do they go? And and that's my concern um, because the staffing levels aren't there to support them in a safe way and safeguarding is going to go through the roof. Yeah, burnouts in this instance is going to be something that the the industry is struggling from. You know, it's been a it's been a horrible year. The hours have been, um, you know, more than what people could expect. Um, generally, the conditions have been less less than ideal. And do I, you know, do either of you have? a sort of idea on what the what the solution would be is it um you know higher numbers coming into the profession is it better pay is it dropping um what you know may very well be unnecessary pieces of legislation like this my my biggest thing and i might be i might be completely wrong you know we pay as best as we possibly can and we do the line of work and the clientele we have you know, it is specialist. So we try to pay the best we can. But when the council pays a couple of pounds more per hour for, you know, the support, we physically don't have that wiggle room to up our wages. You know, it's something that we cannot do. People need to, I mean, it's got worse since COVID. And I honestly think, you know, people have stopped working 
because it might be you might have two you know two people in a family that you know one had to stop working because of the children and they've worked out actually we can live off just one way that's fair enough other people might have lost their jobs and gone you know what quite like living on benefits this is where it needs to be harder for people to just sit at home living on benefits unless they're on maternity paternity disability allowance things like that people need to be encouraged to get back to work and we are struggling we have people phoning up or we get on indeed and people are coming through all you know asking for interviews we put the interviews on people don't turn up it's a tick box exercise it's too easy for people to say yes i've gone for a job interview or yes look i've got an interview oh i didn't get it that kind of stuff needs to be put harder to do it the only personally i feel it's the only way anybody's going to get anyone through the door but again it goes back to double vaccinations i have a lot of people that i know in care that won't ever go back into care because they are so anti-vaccination you know i also have a staff member that has said to me i do not want another one this is something i do not want and this is my right to have it but as she said, she's too old to start another career. She doesn't want to be in anything else. And for me, that is her personal choice not have it. But it, it's so hard when I'm governed by I have you have to have it. It's end of it. It's it's very hard, very hard, and it, it sits wrong on me that we have to have it, but the NHS won't, and it's wrong. And that's again, it, it does definitely seem to be coming back to the, the sort of double standard there. Um, that there are changes between, you know, as we all know, some place, some uh, people that work in the NHS do have to be vaccinated against, um, you know, certain things to be able to work. Hepatitis B, for example, you can't have, um, you know, do certain procedures if there is a risk of, of catching hepatitis B. Um, and that, you know, is something that has already been in place but do you just think that it's the sort of nationwide reaction to the vaccination program that's caused this sort of feeling or you know is there is there some under other underlying problem there I, I think it's about the value that's being put on health and social care workers and um, throughout the pandemic uh, yes we were clapping on a Thursday for key workers which were seen publicly to be the NHS when we look at care which is absolutely right, and they did an incredible job, and without them, you know, we wouldn't all be here. Um, but it's about the value that's put onto social care, and I think this is where the problem comes when it's recruiting people. It's raising the profile of social care. It's giving people the opportunity to choose how they want to live and work. But it's also, as the government are putting into their new paper that came out, the Build Back Better, they're saying... The uh, social care workforce is an essential part of the social care system. We're on the front line caring for and supporting people at the heart of our communities and it's a skilled and qualified workforce that is rewarded and feels valued that is essential for high quality care and sensitive to individual needs. And I think that is where a lot of the issues are coming is that social care is an undervalued sector within the overall health and care sector in the UK. 
there is a the, very much the, the lack of respect um, to the sector. And you're right, it is highly trained. It is, you know, meant to be part of, of the government plans going forward, as we can see from, you know, last week's national insurance debates and the national insurance rise. This money is meant to be funneled in for for extra pay, more recruitment, extra services, better training, more diplomas, more access to university. And do you think that that will help in the long term? Or do you think that actually all of this money is just going to be diverted into frontline services and sort of clearing up a, a surgical backlog across the NHS? Yeah, so from reading what I read, it goes to the NHS and it's coming to us by 2023, sorry, in 2025. It's too late then. Something needs to be done now. They're on about employing offices for the NHS at 200 or 1,000 pounds a year salaries. They're on about upping NHS staff wages, which is totally, and don't get me wrong, NHS deserves that. The staff absolutely deserves it. Um, but for us, you know, and it's on about recruiting for the NHS. They go, you know, they're doing this club and they're doing this. They need to do this to social care services now. They need to support us as individual companies to help, you know, support us to recruiting people, you know, and, and doing something with us. Otherwise, my worry is that people, like, you know, the guys we support here, if we have to shut, there is nowhere to go. I've had phone calls among phone calls about people needing residential placements that have severe autism and severe behavior concern. I've got people needing to come out of hospital. And in our region, I've been told several times, we are one of the only places to place people. People are gonna end up back in hospitals, which they are trying to get everybody out doing. I was in an article the other week with Will, and you know, he took me down in that to say about people with autism coming out of hospital. They need to help support us companies that are trying our very best to do this. But yet again, we are going to be swept aside and just left to it, you know, trying to buy or not. And Lindsay, you had something you wanted to add there as well. Go ahead. Mm. Yeah, I think it, if you put it this way, if you have a choice, where would you work? To work in social care, you have to have a double vaccine, but with the new levy that's coming in force, and the increase of 1.25% to national insurance payments, we were effectively giving all of our staff a pay cut. Or would you go to work for the NHS where you don't have to have any vaccine and money's being ploughed in there initially before it comes to us, so people are effectively getting a pay rise? And I think that's what it boils down to. I think Stacey's absolutely right with the level of care that us and other providers do um, give to the individuals, if we are not able to sustain the level of care we do, people will end up back in hospitals and that's, that's the point. That's what we need to avoid. People need our services. If you've got a group of, a whole group of people who are looking for jobs, ultimately where are they going to go? Where they don't have to be vaccinated and they're going to get good paying conditions under the NHS or are they going to come to us where they have to have that double vaccine? It's going to impact our field of potential employees. And, you know, given that we've spent a fair portion of this talking about, you know, the impact on recruitment, what recruitment's meant, um, you know, are you now seeing the, you know, the pool of British workers not wanting to work within social care that ought to have been topped up by foreign workers that aren't now able to work within the industry? Has that now, is that effect really coming in and are you feeling it? Yeah, 
No, we've definitely had a, a, a there's definitely a decrease in the amount of people that are applying for jobs. Um, and I don't know if it is triggered by the no jab no job. I don't. I can't quantify that with any evidence. But we are seeing, um, and I think you'd agree, Stacey, a decrease in the amount of people that are applying for jobs with us. Yeah, there's a massive amount. We have um, a flat available here. We've got a lady ready to move in. Her funding has been agreed. But we physically, and it's not safe for anybody to move her in because we don't have the staff. So we are trying, and we have gone through every avenue to try and get staff. You know, and it's just, there's nobody. But it's not, I mean, it's not in the care sector. It seems to be in the hospitality, you know, little, or everywhere. There is nobody. Nobody is about. It's like everybody's just disappeared. So obviously we've been speaking a lot, um, you know, still about the, the different challenges of recruitment, but that isn't all it is for the people in care. Um, it's a very specialised industry. People need to have skills. They need to be educated, but they also need to be, you know, compassionate and, and have all of those soft skills as well, which do come with time. So, Lindsay, you know, if you'd like to go into a little bit more detail on, you know, how you get people up to scratch, um, but also the investment in the person as well to make sure that they they meet the requirements absolutely i mean it's the first thing it's about valuing and respecting the employees it's all well and good people applying for jobs as stacy alluded to earlier and having the tick box exercise but you do need to have compassion and empathy to work with the people that we support even if you've got a person in tomorrow for example if they've been successful in their interview they've got no notice to give they can start tomorrow it's going to be six to eight weeks before they become any level of effective with the people that we support because we as an organisation and as every organisation have legislative requirements to ensure that we're safe and well-led as a company, which means providing staff with training. Now, the training just doesn't happen overnight and obviously there's e-learning that people can do, but where training's face-to-face and there's a full induction programme in place, you're looking probably six to eight weeks before you've got somebody who's up and effective working with the people you support. And when you're already facing a shortage now, we're looking at, say, middle of November, before you've actually got that person that you can depend on to provide effective care and support to the individuals who reside in the service. So it's not as simple as just saying, hopefully when furlough ends, there's going to be a pool of people to pick from. It's not going to help us. A, now, but it's also not going to help us in the short term to medium term because where organisations do invest in their staff and they value them, they have to make sure that we're providing everything that we are to get a staff member up to speed. You can uh, you can teach a person many things, but you can't teach them values and you need to understand also that you are putting the lives of the people you support in their hands and they've got to be the right people for the job. That's something that's you know very important. They need to match your ethos. They need to match your uh, expectations. Um, you know, it isn't just a, a plug in and play situation here. It is uh, you know a slow craft and a slow moulding to make sure that the people that need the care are getting looked after. Um, and that is something again that people do need to consider that it is a a, a long term process. But um, I'm sure that the government will have a, a magic plan to to help you along with that process. That would be lovely. <laughs> And on this, um, you know, again, let's just go back to the date this week. There was um, the highest number of job vacancies 
pretty much ever with it going over a million job vacancies across care, across hospitality and obviously across a lot of other industries. But those two being the main drivers of this, um, you know, sort of job vacancy crisis, really. And with a million people still on furlough, um, you know, there, there are, it's going to have to be a change sort of very quickly. Um, and you know, once the furlough situation is over, maybe things will change. Maybe there will then be a larger pool of people that are unfortunately, you know, have been made redundant or their jobs aren't there anymore and they may come in. And maybe that's what the government is waiting for. Um, you know, that that sort of jobs market to really get going again once the government support has fully been withdrawn. But, you know, so if we're looking sort of now ahead, um, you know, rather than looking behind us at what has happened, what's looking at the current crisis, if we're looking sort of six months in the future, do you think that anything will change? Um, you know, Stacey, what are your thoughts? I really don't know. I'm hoping, and we've, we've said it in, in our office, we sat here and said, as soon as furlough's finished, we are hoping to see people through the door. I really am unsure if that, that, that's going to happen, and that worries the life out of me that there's nobody here. That, you know, are the government then going to help us? Are they going to put a scheme on where they are the ones you know, going through, looking for support workers, telling us we've got this amount of people, this is the criteria, this is what they can offer, you know, and, and do it that way. I, I, I don't know the answer to it. All I know is that, it, for me, like Lindsay had said, if you can go to the NHS and not being vaccinated, higher wage, or go to a place like ours, which, again, we, we have very challenging guys here, um, and a, a lot less, and you have to be double dealt. It's not, it's not rocket science. I know exactly where so many people go. So you, so you do think it is just going to be status quo from here on in that there, there are not going to be any changes, that people aren't going to have a change in mindsets, and that maybe the government aren't aren't going to do things. That's that's quite a. You know, a sort of sad, sad way to to, th- to think about the industry. It's quite upsetting to think that an industry that's so needed and that so many people rely upon just isn't going to be able to change purely because of the the level of respect, the pay, and the the sort of vaccination system. My worry is the government has we have reams of different legislation, different pieces of advice, what we do, what we don't do very complicated no one can ever give you a direct answer and to be honest i don't feel i trust the government in what they say it's one said one thing then it's taken away in the other you know it's everybody you know all the frontline staff and all that we're all getting vaccinated because you know we were doing this job but yeah which is brilliant and i'm not really funny it should be all frontline staff being vaccinated and should be because we work with most vulnerable, we are always with people, and yeah, I, I just I don't have faith in the government. To be honest, to help support us out of this hole. So, if let's say you know in a hypothetical situation here that the Minister of State for Care, um, Helen Watley, was here right now, if she was on this call, and you could give the you know the the honest opinion about what needed to change tomorrow to be able to save, um, you know, social care, to save palliative care, to save nursing homes, what would that, you know, single element be? 
they they need to come. They need to speak to us. They need to speak to not the NHS bosses and the, the um, council bosses and all of that that actually don't work on the floor, knowing what it's like. They need to speak to individual organisations. They need to know the ins and outs and the worries that people have. You know, they need to make it less easy for people to sit at home and do nothing at home and just get paid for it. Those are the things that they need. They've got to speak to us. You know, it says in the legislation, each individual NHS staff member has been spoken to regarding, like, this jab and all of this. But social care, we've had a leaflet, we've had um, video calls. But that's it. You know, it's like we are the poor relation, like what you said earlier. We're the poor relation. But we are the people just as important yes we might not be doing operations medical you know all of that care crime side but we support very vulnerable people and it's across the board with PMLD, the elderly mild learning facilities that are severe autism autism all of us feel and i can probably say it's the majority of people we feel left out we need that support we need help to get people through the door we you know don't leave us out don't leave us out in the cold. Someone might have a good idea within this whole section to help, you know, pull this out. Well, I think that's, you know, a really important point there. You know, you do need help. You need uh, to be consulted. You need to have a direct line that, that isn't there across a, a very, you know, damaged and, and stressed industry. Um, you know, and I think actually on that note, it's probably a very good place to finish um, this conversation, uh, you know, sort of an actual, you know, fighting call um, for what the government needs to do and we at the Leaders Council help support you every step of that way as much as we can to get that message across but Stacey and Lindsay thank you ever so much for coming on today it's been great to hear you know if not um, disappointing to hear about the you know the pressures that you're under and the, the outlook for the industry but thank you ever so much thank, thank you, you. That was Stacey Mitchell and Lindsay Jarvis from All Care Community. Uh, some really important things being discussed today. Um, a sector in a level of crisis. Um, there needs to be a series of changes from top down and, and bot- allowing bottom up to, to really uh, improve the quality of care and as well as the quality of the staffing levels that are coming in. I want to you know, wish them all the best moving forwards and, and dealing with, with some of the issues that have become apparent over the COVID crisis. Um, thank you all ever so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leaders' Council podcast. And I look forward to coming on again next week.